Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luer. I'm excited to have Dan Gosh Roy calling in from New Jersey here today. And we're going to be talking music and fight sports. That's going to be a great combo. So I'm really looking forward to digging deep into Dan's illustrious career here. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thanks, Marcus. Excited to be here. Yeah, no, uh, this is going to be an interesting one. Uh, very colorful background here. Uh, let me just give our listeners sort of a quick overview. Um, you've really come, uh, you know, started in the music space. Um, and I would sort of uh, summarize it as from Napster to EMI to Beyonce. And we'll, we'll definitely go a bit more deeper what that all means. Um, and now, of course, you are the chief digital officer of the Professional Fighters League the PFL, um, and even though the league didn't play this year due to the COVID, um, you guys are planning a bunch of interesting things. You've launched your OTT platform recently, so that's going to be the other second part of our conversation. So, um, But let's first dig into the world of music here, how you started. Uh, tell us, how do you got into this space, and uh, we'll then take it from there. Sure. Well, I always, always, I grew up with a passion for music, and when I got out of school, uh, I was trying to figure out what to do, and there were some opportunities in the Bay Area. It was the dot-com boom at the time, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I moved out there. I had, a, I had a core group of friends that were living out there, and, and this was in the, really, the late 90s, right. and I had an opportunity to go work for one of the first digital music companies, uh, a company called Liquid Audio. Uh, they, they were one of the first digital music companies to put a, a DRM or a, a digital rights management against the files, so they just can be shared like MP3s. Okay. But this was in the heyday of Napster, right, and okay. so you know you're battling these types of things where you have Napster on one side and you're trying to start this label side of label happy <laughs> label friendly business uh on the other side and, and it was all brand new mm -hmm. and so that i got a great opportunity there it was the dot-com boom and it was very late 90s in the bay like i said i got the opportunity to be with a company that went public and we smashed you we went out at 50 dollars, and everything was great and right. life was gravy and and I was just a 22-year-old kid who thought, wow, this is how it works. <laughs> uh, that changed quickly. Within probably a year, year and a half, everything came tumbling down. Right. And you start you know, making deals with larger companies like Microsoft and starting to do Microsoft's DRM. And, and that's really I, – I, I really started to own my skills at that point. I was learning about how you take audio – and create all these different digital formats. Where does it go? How do people consume it? What about, you know, we were doing uh, Amazon's clip service, meaning like the 30-second clips that you would listen to on Amazon.com of these, of these music releases. Right. We, were, we were creating them on behalf of Amazon. So it's where is the revenue opportunities? Where is, how are people going to be consuming all of this content? So it was a very interesting time period for me for sure, and I learned an enormous amount. At a a very quick, young... quick question before we, we keep moving uh, down the list here. Um, it, it was liquid, um, even though you came in as a youngster there. Did you get a little bit of uh, you know um, equity, and, and uh, for a moment you were a millionaire already, or you, know, uh, you weren't quite there yet? 
I, I definitely got some equity. I 100% was not a millionaire. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I definitely, I got a little bump that at 22, I thought was uh, amazing. Right, uh, right. Certainly was nothing that was going to carry me through. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, it wasn't retirement money there right away yet, right? So, uh, so you had to do a bit more work. So now, then you ended up at Napster, actually. Um, so tell us a bit more about that. I mean, it's obviously an amazing company, which which really was the disruptor at that time. Um, and, you know, and I'm going to ask you about later where you think that where is that happening in sports. But uh, what was happening there in the wild west of Napster? Well, I mean, the Napster, as you said, I mean, it was the big disruptor. We were all using it. I remember. In the basement at Liquid Audio, actually, there's say 20 of us working on all these audio files, and we'd be producing content for uh, the labels, but we'd be downloading content from Napster, and <laughs> okay. so it, it was that disruptive. Where and and we were all in. We like we wanted we wanted music to continue to succeed. We didn't want Napster to break what was happening in the industry. But uh, when you had you're you're young and all of a sudden the every music catalog was available to you i, I distinctly remember um being able to download there was a there was a young rap duo called crisscross back in the day they're probably most famous for um warming up was their hit mm -hmm. and um they did a sprite commercial and you could never get back in the day. There was no YouTube. There's none of that. But I remember on Napster, I was able to download the Sprite commercial, this 30 second track, and I thought it was the most incredible thing ever. Uh, and so yeah, so I got an opportunity to go and work at Napster. Now, Napster had, you know, been sued by the labels. BMG had uh, won the naming rights in that lawsuit, mm -hmm. and then a company called Roxio, which maybe you remember was the big CD burning software company and Roxio ended up buying the name from BMG and then buying a company called press play and press play was owned by universal. It was their attempt at a digital streaming and download service. Okay. So then press play got the name Napster slapped on top of it and relaunched as the Napster that is pretty much what the Napster is today. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Throughout this process, I had moved down to L.A. and was working at Press Play. And Roxio came in and we became Napster. And so we were balancing the file sharing aspect of it with this new product and then trying to kill the file sharing and launch the new product. And that was a very interesting time as well because that, like I said, that's when the labels are really kind of digging in. And so the labels were really trying to make a point to have distribution uh, outlets for their content mm. that was monetizing and kept their rights with them, but they didn't know what they were doing. But and so I would get DAT tapes. Like I, I'm turning DAT tapes into digital files. I'm turning – they would send me vinyl. Uh, there was a great studio at Napster. We'd bring artists in. We'd record. Mm -hmm. But I'd also spend nights there, and I loved it. I loved it because it was my passion. I played the drums. I was an aspiring DJ, aspiring producer at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm in the studio. But they were giving me vinyl and turned vinyl into digital. Like, if you know anything about music, that doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> right. um, those are the types of things we're doing for the majors uh, and data. And that's where the real core, uh, as we all know, the core of everything is data. If your data is a mess, mm. it's, it's a mess everywhere. No one's going to get paid. 
The content's not going to appear the correct way. And it's, it's just, it's not going to be searchable. And these are, I mean, these are, these are skills that to this date at the PFL, we still use, Mm -hmm. we understand the power of data and, and collecting data and utilizing data for search and utilizing data for asset management and all of that good stuff. So I, at a very young age, again, at this point, I was probably 24. I'm recognizing the mess that we are creating Mm. within the industry. And so the, you know, labels are setting spreadsheets and pieces of vinyl and they didn't have any file naming conventions. So it was, it was, it was a whole lot of fun to sort out, but it certainly taught me a lot. Uh, and it gave me some opportunities. Like I said, I was an aspiring musician and, um, you know, at that point, uh, I, I got opportunities in LA to, to have some fun and, you know, a fun story from, from that point in time was we did the Napster launch party. Uh, I actually got to, uh, open up for Ludacris and back yeah. in 2003, to me, there was nothing better than, than, than Ludacris and playing a gig on the sunset strip. So yeah. Napster paid off from a professional and personal perspective. Sounds like a fun one for sure. And and I definitely want to come back later to sort of the parallels of what the, the music industry went through at that time to, you know, maybe what, what we're seeing now in the in the sports industry. So we'll, we'll touch on that later. Now, before we uh, move on, there is uh, I want to touch a bit more on, of course, you then you went basically from Napster to to MI music. Um, and that was, you know, it's an industry giant, obviously. And um, but there were some interesting new things happening at that time as well. T- tell us about that a bit. Sure. So EMI was building a, a digital team, a global digital team. And and so I went over there to uh, join that global group and, and focus on North America. And so at this point in time, I was I really started uh, I started understanding what we were trying to build here. The beauty of it is that we literally were in the build phase. Hmm. And a lot of the stuff that we built at EMI when it comes down to XML data that gets delivered to partners and how you deliver files, uh, you know, all of those things with the partners we are working with, it's still to this day, it's it's still the same type of process. So we built this back in the early 2000s, but and it's matured and, and you know, the band-aids that we had in are now no longer band-aids. But that was the beauty of it is that we built an architecture that is still still used. And so that that always sticks in the back of my head when, when we're building something to, to try to do it the right way. Right. Uh, but like you said, there were new products and the new products were ringtones, ringtones and, and ringback tones. And right. that was a big deal. There's a lot of revenue coming in from yeah. there. So all, you know, all that money from physical products was, was going away, yes. but all of a sudden ringtones came in and it was tons of money. Right. But it was also a hassle right. because you had, hundreds of phone devices every phone had different type of codecs and file formats for the audio files that you had to deliver to them so you for one ringtone you're probably delivering you know 500 different files Mm. and it's like a 10 second file so it was very interesting but that's when i really started to understand not only how massive this distribution can be on a global basis but also the real estate and the platforms and how they matter. Mm. And so at that time, taking ringtone as an example, AT&T in some regards was a platform because they were serving up ringtones across their network to a bunch of devices. And real estate was really limited. Mm. And so how do you create something so catchy 
that A, you get one of those prime spots and B, it sticks around and people like it. And so that's when I started putting on more of a marketing and biz dev hat. I was really operational up until that point. I remember very distinctly, we would bring in new deals into the business and I would be able to contribute to, this is how it's going to work for us. And that was a real game changer for me because I moved from, like I said, from ops into really a role over all the labels working on ops marketing and BD. And that was, that was, that was a really great moment in my career. Um, and that's where, you know, YouTube launched, Facebook launched during this time period. And we started doing some really unique um, things with our product releases. And, and one that, I, that I'll share with you is Katy Perry was the biggest star on the planet at that point in time. Right. And Nage Dream was the album, hit after hit after hit. And she had a song called Last Friday Night. Mm-hmm. And we were getting to release it. And Facebook was becoming a real thing at that point. And the marketing plan was to set up a profile, a, 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 you know, a fake profile for the character that Katy Perry played in the video that we were going to produce. Okay. And it was, um, um, it was her name mixed up. I forget what the, the exact name of Terry, Terry something. And so we created that Facebook page and we started a persona in that Facebook page and we started dropping teasers and, made it a lifestyle page mm. for this new song. Right. Then the video is being produced and that's all tied into the Facebook page. All of a sudden, you know, this is digital marketing at its best. This is using new platforms, new technology, new audience opportunity, and you tie it all together and you have a great release. Cool. Now you can, you can do that for a Katy Perry and you can't do that necessarily for every, every artist, but it was a great example of, when new technology came in, there was there was opportunity. Mm. It wasn't scary. It wasn't what are we going to do now? Is this another Napster moment? It was opportunity, right. and so that's something I carry with me off. Interesting. Now, uh, another quick one here, sticking to to the world of music, is uh, with Ultra Records, right? Which I believe that Calvin Harris was the big uh, artist you had there. Um, and again, uh, there were some interesting things you guys were doing. Um, with YouTube and others, uh, you know, talk us through that a bit. Yeah, definitely. Yes, I mean, Calvin Harris really, really uh, was our big breakthrough pop artist uh, in EDM at Ultra. Uh, and it also showed that it, it was kind of an early indicator of how the new world was going to work in that old record industry, it was release your album within two weeks. If it doesn't do a million, it's a flop. Whereas today's world, you still want that hit at the front, but a year later, it could pop off for some reason. And you didn't have that opportunity previously, but in the digital world, that happens again and again and again. And that's kind of what happened with with the Calvin Harris record. We released it a year earlier, and then he dropped a single with Rihanna called we found love. And that was really kind of the essence of the Calvin Harris sound. And that song blew up. So we reserviced feel so close to radio and, and pr- promoted it across all the digital platforms. iTunes was the biggest one at the time. Mm-hmm. His career broke open from there. Right. So that was, that was an interesting one for me because 
again, in in this mode of if you don't hit in the first couple of weeks, you're done. That that all went away, and so you had to start reading data, and reading uh, understanding data, and seeing where there might be opportunity for spikes from something not necessarily new. Right. And again, we use this at the PFL, and I'll get into it. But we use it. YouTube is a long tail platform, and we use the data, and it melds into our strategy based on hits from the past and how they're relevant in the in the current uh, time to make a hit for now. Right. Um, and I learned again. I learned this from you know, Ultra was a YouTube innovator in that all the major labels were blocking everyone from uploading their content. Don't put it up there. It's our rights. We want it. Everyone going to our YouTube channel, our artist channel mm-hmm. at YouTube. We built at the time, which was the like the number two music channel on all of YouTube. Um, and we did that because we allowed users to upload content with our music in the background. All right. We just did it on the back end. So we would derive the views, we would drive the revenue. And we would let the fans yeah, use the music. It. Right. Got yeah. it. Yeah, no, that's and cool. It, it was big in the video game community. Right. Video gamers loved and still do EDM. Sure. And so, again, learning where your audience is. And we started learning, okay, if the video gamers are really into our music, why don't we look to drive a revenue stream with the biggest uh, video game MCN on YouTube, which was a company called Machinima. And so we went out and did a multi-year, multi-million dollar deal with them to work with them, let them run ads across our content. And, um, you know, it turned out to be one of the one of the best deals uh, that I got to be involved in from an innovation perspective and, and a monetary perspective. Very interesting. Um, let's, um, I want to just uh, wrap it up here, but uh, your last yeah. one, or in the music space, I, I think it's just too interesting not to mention it. Uh, obviously, Beyonce uh, and your involvement was uh, launching of the, of, the, of the album Lemonade, right? Um, yes. So let's, uh, let's quickly hear a little bit about that one, and then we'll get into the, the next part here. For sure. Certainly a, a great moment in my career. Uh, and Lemonade obviously was a, a, a cultural moment. And what I learned there, first of all, you know, the management team over there, first class, Steve Pammon, who runs the, the shop at Parkwood under Beyonce, um, he's, he's second to none. And the focus and the energy on vision and strategy and creative first right. is a real takeaway from there. It's always creative first. Make your mark with the creative. Get your statement out there. And that's something I take with me, certainly as we're creating content for the PFL, as I created content at Complex. It's one of those things where you can't be satisfied. Um, And, you know, when you have an artist as big as Beyonce, you get to do things that you you can't do with too many others. And, you know, we disrupted the Super Bowl weekend with the drop of the video for formation. We disrupted the Super Bowl itself with the launch of the the advertisement for her new tour coming out. And this was all in advance of the Lemonade album drop. Right. We were very strategic and we dropped a video. We did it, you know, very creatively on the website. We knew that her her audience are hackers 
And so drop it on the website, let the fans have it first, then drop a merch line, then you do the Super Bowl halftime, then you do the the, the ad for the tour. So it was it was really something I'm really proud of. Hmm, I like it, and and, and we're definitely going to touch on it when we when we start talking, you know, fight sports here in a bit, uh, because in the world in our traditional world of you know I'm a sports guy, um, and so our world has always been very much um, in this protective environment, right? You buy exclusive rights, no one else can have it. You know, a particular broadcaster, platform operator, whoever it is, um, has very defined um, territories and, and very defined ways to. Uh, uh, protect itself, the rights, um, the, the distribution, etc. Uh, and music has been, as you just explained it, right? It was disrupted so early and therefore had no choice to constantly reinventing, you know, and these new platforms came out from Spotify to others, which again had different monetization. Um, sports, I don't think, has really been forced yet to think that extreme. Um, it's still a bit in this sort of... Uh, I would call it a la-la land where things are just too easy still or maybe still too good. Um, but I think there will be things uh, we'll start seeing the change. Now, some of that you started to see a little bit already in Complex as well, right? Because, again, this is not a your traditional content company, right? You, they, you guys are creating some really interesting um, sort of content there as well, um, and the monetization was different there. Uh, what, what, what did you learn there, um, spending there a couple of years? Sure. I, they, you know, credit to the CEO over there, Rich Antonello, he really saw the vision of knowing when to pivot and being ready to pivot and don't get caught, don't get caught. And they went from magazine to digital media website ads to lighting up a YouTube business with an MCN and also original programming, then full on into entertainment, social, building social as a business with amplification and branded content. And so they continue to shift and they continue to pivot in the true sense of what a digital media company does. And that's that was a huge takeaway for me and a great learning. How do you look at it? To me, distribution is everything. And so how are you looking at distribution endpoints and maximizing them and turning them into audience and revenue? And that's what Complex really does well. Uh, their creative side obviously is is top notch in their verticals, and that comes through in shows like Hot Ones and Sneaker Shopping, and that anything that they've licensed out to Netflix, they they really have it. Uh, they have it working, and so for me, as we stared down this 2020, and we had to make a call, and we postponed our season to next year, and we decided we. We've always been a 24-7 media company, right. but this year was the year we leaned in on that that part of the business, and I think we've done a great job of it, and we produce some great content. We have more coming out, and we certainly built up our, our social muscles over the past year. In fact, we, we, beat, uh, we won the Synopsis Media Award, Sports Media Award for 2020 for the best uh, use of Instagram. And we beat Bleacher Report's House of Highlights. We beat the WWE, Fox Sports, The Score. So we beat some major players out there. Mm. And that's all attributable, attributable to growing audience, understanding how to, to do top-notch creative and pull people in and get them to engage with you. 
And so these are lessons I learned all the way through. And I think we're, we're really, really flexing our, our, our 24 seven media chops right now uh, at, at the PFL. Yeah, cool. And, and yeah, well, um, I want to talk about this sort of, you know, your role there as the chief digital officer and the, and all the amazing things you've learned, I guess, in your career and how you're using it now. But maybe before we get into that, uh, let's give everyone a bit better chance uh, and, and sense of what uh, the PFL is all about. Um, from what I understand and, you know, obviously did a bit of homework on it, it started uh, many years ago with the World Series of Fighters. Um, and then uh, in, I think, 2018, it was transited into the PFL. I'm not sure that there was a change of ownership too or, or just sort of yeah. renaming. Yeah, probably both. Um, and then, of course, the, I guess, the if, again, what I see the difference to others, the UFC and Bellator and others out there, um, is that you have a regular season, you have a playoff, and then you have a you know, big final championship there. So, um, again, using a bit of... Uh, other sports genres of what they do um, versus, I guess, the traditional fight for sports space, which has its own, you know, different type of rhythms to it. Um, you know, I love the the part about uh, the New Year New Year's Eve final. Um, we were talking earlier about K1. That's I think K1 is really the one who made that famous. Um, they're amazing. Uh, they call it the Grand Prix, the World Grand Prix uh, K1. It was at the New Year's Eve, biggest show on uh, television in the in Japan every year. Um, the largest event there ever did was a 50,000 seater uh, Tokyo Dome um, on New Year's Eve. So maybe that's part of your vision too. Uh, but tell us a bit. About, tell me a bit more about it. Um, what is the difference? How do you guys see yourself differentiating, so, you know, from others? And uh, and then we go a bit deeper. For sure. Well, yes. I, the the first thing is the format which we called out. We have a regular season, a playoffs, and a championship, and that is very very much like North American sports leagues. Right. And that's a huge differentiator differentiator for us. And something that we lean in on, it allows you to follow a story throughout the whole season. And you, you don't you don't get knocked out with one loss. You're going to have to get up and fight again. But you get that opportunity and you know it's coming. If if you get to the championship, you'll be in your fifth fight of the year. And so that means you, you've gone through this grueling course of two regular season, the playoffs, and then the championship bout. And again, there's a lot of stories to be told around that. There's a lot of drama that can be built around that. Uh, as an example, you know, when you get to the playoffs or the, the fight before the playoffs, you could be mid-level. You know, we have a point structure. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're seated based on your, your standings in your division. Sure. And so you could be staring down an elimination from the season but you can advance yourself by having a fast finish. We call it a quick six. Right. If you finish someone in the first round, you get six points. Okay. And so maybe you needed five just to get in, and you got that six, and so you secured yourself a spot in the playoffs. And so there's that type of drama, and I, I always equate it to heading into the wild card in football. There's all these different scenarios. Well, if this team beats this team and this team loses, then all of a sudden the Patriots get in. Um, and so similarly, that's what we're building here with the PFL. There's, there's dramatic stories to be told. And another unique thing about the PFL is how we tell those stories, how our broadcast team puts them together and the visualization and the data and the tech around what we broadcast. We really want to innovate. Innovation is, is a part of every single thing we do. 
and it comes through in the broadcast. And we have our smart cage, which measures strike speed and tracks the fighters around the ring. Okay. And this year, we're coming out with you know more technology that is is going to be even uh, even better for the consumer to to see and integrate that into betting and gaming. And so all these all these facets are what that make the PFL really unique and really a differentiator. And that's that's something that I think is going to make a big difference and help us to to really break through and capture. Maybe there's maybe there's someone that only watches the big, big prize fights, but they love North American sports and they love betting and they love tech. So that's we have the opportunity to pull them in through our through our lead. And so these are the these are the types of things we think about as we continue to build. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, how many uh, your 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 live events? How long are they? And and for, from a broadcast point of view, how many uh, how many hours is sort of your regular TV product? Typically five hours. Five hours. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And you and that's currently I, I believe in the U.S. it's on ESPN two, right? And ESPN plus. Um, they show the yeah. whole five hours, or or you break it into smaller blocks, or or how does it work? Right. Plus, plus takes half of it and then uh, linear on ESPN2, they get the other half. All right. OK. So you sort of have a bit of a pre-show and then it goes into the main one, I guess. Right? Uh, interesting. So the so the fighter, you, I think you have seven, was it uh, six weight classes, right? Um, now, one thing I, I hadn't quite worked out yet uh, from what, what I could see, um, the season started in, Mar in May and then sort of finishes, of course, in December. So which means there's sort of half the year where the fighters aren't doing anything. Is Was that just because uh, you hadn't had a chance to run to sort of the, the, for a whole year yet or because this year obviously was disrupted or is that the actual plan? Meaning the 19th season? Yeah, the 2019, right? That was a May to the sort of December season um, to 18. Year. I couldn't quite see when that started and how long that was. It's about, it's about seven and a half months, and it's based around uh, the rules from the commission and how often uh, you know a fighter can, can fight. And since we're trying to get five fights in, in a year, it has to be spread out over that time. Got it, right. And I think you also have this sort of turn a bit of a tournament format, right? A four-man tournament where you have to fight twice a night, right? So in we have a new series called the International Qualifier Series. Mm. And so what we're doing is partnering with regional uh, fighting organizations internationally. And they're setting up four-man tournaments. And they fight twice in the same tournament in the same night. And the winner of that gets a spot on the PFL roster. Right, right, and you you use the you the the rules are traditional MMA, um, or is there you guys are tweak the rules a bit as well, or when you uh, for anything, or is pretty straightforward what what uh, the audience it's, is it's used to. It's straightforward. The 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 main exception is no elbows. Okay, and again, this has to do with the ability to get someone in the ring uh, or in the cage five times a year. Right, and Got it. recovery that could happen from from that type of thing. Hmm. Interesting. Now, when you, you know, as I said, it's a crowded space you're in, right? Uh, I, I shared with you earlier, I, I was a co-founder of Glory Kickboxing. And, and the reason we went for kickboxing is because we felt MMA was definitely, you know, crowded with the UFCs and the Bellators and here in Asia, one championship, etc. And so we really didn't want to be in the, in the, in the same space. 
Um, and that was so hard enough trying to get people to understand the difference or, or appreciate the difference. What is it really, what, besides that, what we talked about earlier already, which is the format, um, where do you guys feel um, you can become, you know, maybe let's, let's, I don't know whether maybe I'm insulting you, but uh, it become a strong number two, um, you know, because USA is clearly so far ahead at the moment of everyone else, at least from my point of view. How do you see that? Uh, what, what's the differentiator or how are you guys going to get there? Well, again, I think a lot of it has to do with brand awareness, growing the audience and getting exposure for for the talent that's in our league. Mm. We have the top talent. These these fighters are incredible and, and they're battling and, and they've they've fought in different orgs and some are coming up in ours and some are veterans. And so we know we have the top talent and we know that our format is a differentiator. And so it's really a matter of continuing to grow the PFL as a brand, making more and more people aware of it and really locking in with, with a fan base of which there's 450 million around the world, MMA fans. And so there's certainly an enormous amount of demand and we see opportunity for us to fill a strong part of that demand. And we, we strongly believe that, that we have in regards to our production, regards to our innovative uh, brand, the fact that we really treat ourselves as a media company and we're constantly producing content to tell the story of our fighters, to tell the story of the league, to tell the story of the season, to get people excited for what's coming, and then the actual fights themselves, they always perform. We feel that that combination and our constant innovation around tech, around the smart cage, integrations with with betting and fan engagement is going to really is it's going to secure that spot. Yeah, I like that. Now, uh, you obviously, you, I think re- it's fairly recent you launched your own OTT platform. Um, talk about about that uh, again. That seems to be an obvious place to go um, and to use. I am, again, I've, I've launched an OTT platform myself, so I know all the reasons why you do this. But I also know all the challenges which come with it. So I would love to hear your side of it. For sure, yeah, it is a challenging product. Uh, we're really excited about it, and we launched it. Obviously, we want to we want that direct connection to our fans, and we want fans to go somewhere and just be able to immerse themselves in in the PFL's content, the full fights, the original productions, the highlights, the smart cage content, behind the scenes interviews, all of that good stuff. We want it in one place where people can go and have a seamless viewing experience, right. and that that was the idea of OTT. Uh, 2021.0 version give our fans the best place to consume content and so we've done that and we feel very very proud about the product uh, and it's been received very well by our fans and we know that this is the pl- this is the this is the platform that we can build the future on this is the platform where as we begin to uh, program our live fights as we begin to take that live fight content and create derivative pieces of it. The fan base that is consuming on this OTT app, they are most hardcore and they're the ones that are going to want to engage with us at the highest level. And so as we look two, three years down the line, they're also the ones 
that we can pull into that environment and create this platform so that it is an SVOD platform. Subscribe for these amazing pieces of content. Subscribe for this exclusive content. And as we grow our catalog and our IP, more and more of that can live exclusively on this platform. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, I, I'm actually a, I'm a big advocate and believer in that at the end of the day, every sports, whether it's a league or, or a team, eventually needs its own OTT. Um, that's the only way you can go directly to the consumer and really get to know them, you know, get to you know learn from them, as, you, as we talked about earlier, get that data, which is so critical um, to then deliver the right type of uh, content and, and uh, personalization side of it. So I, I think you guys are spot on there. And, and and for what I would still consider a, a young league, uh, you know, it hasn't been around that long, um, to go there that early, I think it, that's uh, that's very clever and very smart. Um, now, how, how do you guys currently um, define the, the 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 fine balance between, of course, having content with paying platforms, um, someone who gives you money for your content versus what you're doing on your own? Is there already a clear definition, or that's still kind of work in progress to feel your way through it? No, it's honestly, it's it's based on uh, deal terms. And so there's a very clear definition based on region. Mm-hmm. And so some regions in the world, we have, you know, carte blanche to do as we please. And others, there's certain piece of content that will hold back. Right. Uh, and it's not a problem. <laughs> we, I, uh, you know, I've been there before many, many times and understand geo restrictions and what's best for the business. And you know, we weigh these things out as 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 we determine where to distribute. And again, I, I, distribution is everything to me. And so, as we as we make these deals, we know we know what's best for our business. And so we make those calls, and and then we make sure that all of the content is available to all of the people. It's just a matter of you know where are you going to get it, and that's that's my job to make sure that it's super clear that people know where to get it. Right. And that's that's a challenge. Is, is the OTT plan web-based or, or is it an app? No, it's an app. It's an app. It's so a, it's available on all devices, okay. uh, iOS, Android, then Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire. And we'll be expanding uh, the platforms in, in the months to come. Interesting. I'm sure you're familiar with what WWE has done, right, globally uh, with the, with their platform. Um, and again, f- you know, finding that mixture between you know all these big paying customers they have, uh, because you know traditionally they came from, obviously from the you know let's say straightforward distribution model. Um, and then when they launched it, uh, there was a big you know hoo ha initially. Now I think uh, everyone realized that that was the smart move uh, Vince uh, did uh, you know many many years ago. You guys model that a bit or or a million a month can't go wrong. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I guess. Uh, now, so how old the, your platform? From what I recall, it, it was the release just out recently, uh, so it is brand new, right? You just launched it over what the last few weeks or two weeks ago, yeah. Two weeks ago, right? Okay, so it is really uh, fresh out there. So, what what has been the, the the feedback so far, or or you know the that what worked and what hasn't worked yet? The the, the beauty of it is that we haven't had any technical complaints. So the product works. And for me, that's everything, right? If you yeah, can get the product right and people like it, 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 it it's going to take you a long, long way. And so uh, right now we're, we're just in the, in, in the mode of acquiring users and trying to program to the new users so that they get new content every week. Uh, obviously, a big goal for us is to get those monthly active users going 
And this will be a huge, huge tool for us as as we head into next season as not only a content hub, but also a promotional tool, right. uh, those direct connected fan bases. So, yeah, so far, so good. I, I Honestly, knocking on wood because, um, you know, the, from the tech side of it and the reception from our, our audience, it's been great. So I'm assuming the moment is free. What what is the eventually? What what's the plan in terms of the uh, the the paywall? You have a price point in mind, or or how would you structure this? Yeah, when it comes to SVOD, we're we're building that plan. We're, we'll we'll light up uh, AVOD ads pretty soon, so there'll be okay. some pre-roll running, right. uh, and then we can plug in our sponsorships. Uh, but in the near term, we want to keep it free. We want people to be able to come in and consume. We don't want any any type of paywall. We don't want any bottleneck or roadblock to get into the app. We okay. want people to just enjoy the content for now. And it's it's an audience growth uh, tool. And then we'll start we'll start driving that revenue as we roll roll out the AVOD product and and then SVOD in, in a couple of years. Now coming back to your your music career, you know, and the disruptions we were talking about earlier, and then these new platforms which all arrived versus you know what we're now talking about here, uh, where OTT is, I think, in a similar sense, is that disruptor and disrupting clearly traditional media in a big way. Where, where are some of the parallels or things you you think you you could pick up from the from your past to what it is now and, and your learnings from that? Sure, I'm starting to see similar to back in the early days of digital music all of these digital stores were opening walmart had a store and there's mp3.com and you name it the tons and tons of different music streaming sites mm -hmm. with the launch of companies like fubo and pluto tv and zumo and tubi and you know, iflix was in asia um yeah. so there's lots of these streaming platforms for live and TV programming and starting to see that start pop up more and more. And so that's a similarity I see. Obviously, Apple and Spotify and YouTube and Amazon really came out on top in the music side of things. Right. I think we're just at the beginning of what's happening on not only sports, but film and entertainment from a streaming perspective. Obviously, you have Netflix. Yep. You have Amazon Prime, but the 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 TV style of free programming is just getting started, and so that's another huge focus point uh, for me in my role here. Not only do we have our OTT platform where I get my core audience in, but now there are all these other places where I can grow my audience and and actually get revenue from the jump. And so, you know, we've done deals with uh, those companies that I've mentioned and, and, and we're going to be distributing our content uh, across as many platforms as possible and we're going to look really specifically regionally how, how do we do it. Uh, is there a core audience in Indonesia that we need to figure out how to reach and what is the platform to do that? What are they using? Mm -hmm. And so I think we're very much in the beginning phases of that. And that to me will be, you were talking earlier, about how the, the sports is living the good times and the license deals are good and the ad revenue is good and it's kind of gravy when it comes to live. But I do think that there will be uh, disruption when it comes to digital platforms everywhere. Because if you For look sure. at right now, I think you, you didn't mention it yet, but piracy is probably something 
that is going to be Massive. sorted out, right? Yes. And, and so that's something where I think these platforms will help to uh, lower the number of, of people pirating. Yeah, I, I I actually think the gravy train is over. Um, I've been writing articles, and and there's been other some other people have interviewed me recently. Uh, we've been very vocal about that. I do believe the 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 pay TV world is over. Um, I think there's even an article out there that's called the death of the pay TV. <laughs> maybe it's a bit that's maybe a bit exaggerating it because I don't think they're going to disappear that quickly. Um, but I do believe uh, they're they're being disrupted. Um, that app model of uh, um, you know, just arbitraging content where you're paying, you know, millions of dollars for and then hoping some of you figure out later how to monetize it on the other end again. I think that is a that's a dinosaur model, which I think will be disrupted the way Napster did what did to music to some degree. And mm-hmm. uh, you know and, and but the problem is, and that's where I see the biggest challenge here, is no one has worked out what is the new monetization model, right? It's all nice and good. You disrupt it because you, as I said, you just stream it on different platforms. You have different pay models for it. And then the, and these, uh, the pirates out there are destroying it even more um, in so many ways. But, uh, in the, you know, the old model was nice because there was large sums there, right? And some was because some of those large pay TV operators made a lot of money. And then others, uh, at least they believed there was money there and they threw lots of money, you know, and, and private equity money at it. Um, I haven't really seen that yet. And, but I think in a sense, you guys are obviously coming here from a different angle. Um, you know, you're, you're in a sense a new, pla- a new sport, a new, uh, new, new format. Um, I'm sure you're working very hard to get your numbers right um, so that, uh, you know, what, you rev- what the revenue line is versus what, uh, what you're spending is somewhat uh, in reason uh, versus, of course, an existing platform, you know, the biggest sport in the world who, who are already making huge money and now maybe have to figure out how they deal with the decline. So it's a very different world there, that's for sure. Um, I don't know whether that's quite worked it out yet, but uh, – <laughs> we'll, we'll all watch it um, and we'll be comment, commentary on it. Um, now, before we move on here, uh, just to, a couple more things here, which I always like to talk about. And this is sort of obviously the sort of the experience people have, you know, on a personal level, you know, what you've seen has worked and what didn't work. And, and uh, what would you say from, from your music and, and, of course, your few years here in the entertainment space and now uh, fight space, what is it really uh, you see works and or, you know, other people can learn from you. What are the things that I've learned? Yes. Okay. The number one thing for me, because my world is always turned upside down, <laughs> is be be flexible, be solutions oriented. Uh, a lot of the time in, in this digital environment, uh, we are asked to figure out a new way to do something and do it rather quickly. And so some people take the approach of, I can't believe we have to do this. And then they complain about it. The other side of it is make it an opportunity and and find out what that solution is, because it's probably going to lead you. It may be uncomfortable for a moment, but it's going to lead you somewhere that is going to be better for you and the business in the long run. And so always be flexible and always be solutions oriented. I find too many people uh, come come to the table with a complaint or a no without a follow up. But here's what we could do. 
Now that's that leads me back to uh, you guys. Obviously, cancelled the entire season um, for two nineteen, which I'm sure was not an easy decision to be made, and and I'm sure it was painful on multiple levels. Uh, just talk us through a little bit. How did you get to that? And was it just you know uh, you know? And how did how the how do you work with the athletes and everyone else, of course, in the process? Sure. Well, I mean, it's as simple as health and safety first, and. That was that came from the top, and I credit I credit our CEO Pete Murray, I credit our our board and our chairman Don Davis, all these guys for for making a quick decision and making a call to to protect the health and safety of of not only our uh, us as employees but the fighters and their camps, and so that was that was the call. And in order to make that call, you had to stare down a full year. And obviously that was a difficult decision to make. Mm. Uh, but I think in the long run, if you're going to pull off a, a true season, which is what we goal to do and aim to do, uh, it was 100% the right move. Right. And, and so and, what, when is the, what's the plan for the next season? When are you looking right now based on what you know? And I know we all know no one knows the whole story yet. Right. Uh, <laughs> what's the plan to, launch, to relaunch in a sense? Right. Well, so we we continue, we plan on having the international qualifier series that I talked about uh, earlier. We're, we're partnering with with regional uh, promotions, mm -hmm. and we'll start that. Uh, you know, the goal is top of next year, and then we'll we'll launch our season in the spring, uh, and we're going to do it. And you know, we're putting plans in place, and and we should be in a, a great position to do so. Right. Can you reveal a bit uh, where are you going internationally? But what's the sort of the countries you may be looking at, or where can we expect uh, you to I mean, show up? We've we previously we partner, partnered with um, Cage Warriors and um, Shudo in Brazil, so Cage Warriors in 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 Russia and um, and Shudo in Brazil. Uh, but we have we have a bunch of other partners that we're working with, and, and we'll make those announcements uh, uh, in. I'm guessing pretty soon. Right. And so internationally, you're not really running your own shows. It's always through a local partner. That's the strategy, basically. For this series of events, the International Qualifier Series, that's correct. Right. Uh, but listen, the PFL is going to be everywhere. We're global and we have, we have big aspirations. And so we certainly intend on putting on shows internationally. Yeah, putting your own shows on internationally as well, right? Got it. For sure. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, look forward to seeing you in our part of the world here and and uh, and and comparing notes. Uh, as I said, I've seen how hard it is. Uh, I've seen how much money we had to raise at Glory. Um, you know, friends from one championship here. Uh, huge money has gone in there, and, and and even UFC. Anyone who knows UFC story knows that this wasn't an easy one. Um, you know, it looks easy now, but <laughs> it, it clearly wasn't there at the beginning. So, I wish you guys best of luck. Uh, I know how hard it is, um, and uh, but it looks like you guys are really doing some interesting stuff i like this i love the storytelling part to it i think going in with ott on your own uh, makes a lot of sense and uh, yeah you you i can't wait to see the new season there so uh, looking forward to that uh, now final thoughts here on the future of digital um you know you are a digital man right and you've really lived through uh, through that uh, maybe more in the music space but now clearly are in the in the content, in, the, in a different type of content as well. Here, where, where, where do you see that? that what's what do you? What is your view predicting a little bit the next few years here? Sure, I mean to me, it's 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 very much like the, the way we describe our OTT app. Anywhere, anytime, any device. I I really think that 
sports is something you want to consume at all times. I, I'm constantly on my phone, whether it's you know on the ESPN app or other other sporting apps, whether it's the the teams I follow, the Red Sox or the Patriots. I'm constantly consuming content on my phone. If I'm on a TV, if I'm on Apple TV, it doesn't matter. I want that's I want to access it, and I I don't want anything to get in the way of it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not the only person that feels that way. And so. Right. That's the future. It, it really is having content that you want at your fingertips whenever you want it, wherever you are. Correct. And I, I always look to the NBA as the current sports leader in this place. Right. You look at what they did when it comes to highlight clips. They didn't lock down on it. I look at they're like they're like the ultra music when it came mm-hmm. to YouTube. Right. Ultra said, hey, fans, take our music. We know that you want you love our music. So so use it. We're going to we're going to own the rights here, but you guys do do your thing. NBA similarly, they don't stop you from taking their highlight clips. Uh, look at House of Highlights. House of Highlights was born from NBA clips. Then Turner went out and bought them. They own the rights to the NBA and it all makes sense. Mm. So that type of forward thinking, I, you know, I, I, I give credit to that league for always being innovative. Uh, and that's where we're trying to go. And I think that's where sports is going. It's it is. It isn't like you said earlier. It's no longer you, you know, you go to your TV and and that's where you consume. Those days are over. And and, you know, when I was at Complex, we we had we were owned by Verizon. And so we had access to their deal from the NFL. And it should have been the greatest thing ever. But instead, it was so difficult to figure out what games to watch on what device on what web platform because of all of the 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 terms in the deal and the regulations with the NFL et cetera et cetera yeah. so i don't ever want to be in that situation if if we have rights for someone i want it to be crystal clear and super easy for our consumers to to consume and that's really what the future is right it's like make it easy mm. No, I agree. I agree. I, I think the minute you break it across multiple platforms and, and the user ends up having to run from one place to the other to find the game he's want, he's looking for, you're lost. You're gone. Yeah, it's, they're it's, going uh, to Reddit to find the stream. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's that's right. That's where they go to the pirates because the pirates you can find a lot of times easier than the you know than the the actual you know platform who owns it. So. Uh, yeah, you know what? What I mean, we we touched on it a little bit earlier already on piracy. What, last last thought here. Um, where do you see um, your own view on piracy? Because clearly, music was pirated like crazy. And where do you see yeah. that uh, that similar in in sports here? Yeah. How did how, you know? If you look back at how music really put put a, not a stop. I mean, obviously, there's still people that pirate, but not as much now. It's not as common. It it was with the platform that made it so easy and so good that you didn't want to, that you didn't need to go anywhere else. And I'm talking about iTunes started that, uh, YouTube, huge player in that. And Spotify now is, is definitely a a top dog there. So you have these three and I shouldn't, and Amazon music honestly is, is a massive player here. Their platform is great. And so you have these, these four platforms that really just made it so easy, made everything you want so accessible that y- y- you didn't have to go to LimeWire, BitTorrent, 
uh, anymore. And and you just you, you you're like, it's worth it's worth my 10 bucks. I'm going to uh, it's a reasonable price. I'm going to pay it and I'm going to get everything that I want. Right. And so I think in, in sports, it's a little bit different. Obviously, sports are live and there's huge ad dollars around it. And uh, the long tail of, of a live event is different than the long tail of an album release. Yep. But there will be a moment where it becomes very crystal clear that we got to make it easy uh, to consume for these for these for these fans. Right. And once we get there, I think we'll we'll see the piracy slow down a bit. Yeah, and and I think the the key is what you said as well is the price point. It has to be the right price point, right? And if you charge someone to watch a whole game, it's a dollar, whatever it is, and and he watches fifty games a year, well, then let him charge, pay fifty bucks for it, right? Um, instead of you know saying you have to pay you know fifty dollars a month just for your subscription because of all this other stuff I give you which you never want to watch. You don't uh, want. <laughs> exactly. You know, no one watches it. You know, no one watches the entire season of, of every single game. You have a team you follow. Maybe you, want, you have two teams to follow, but, uh, you know, that's about it. And so I think this whole concept of a la carte um, and really you're paying for what it is you want, um, that's, of course, what OTT is delivering and, and, and can deliver. And I do see that's the ultimate trick. Now, whether that generates the same amount of revenue as the old model where you know someone paid a big chunk of money and then you know it sort of was up to him to figure out how to make it back that is going to be the big question which again we won't have time today to discover that um <laughs> but that's that's interesting and i think that, like you said you know in music it happened right there was all of a sudden there are price points where people are comfortable with and then you know privacy it doesn't become the issue i think that's not quite there yet in sports for sure um and let's see how we get there For sure. Yeah. Dan, it was very interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed the uh, the parallels and, and comparisons we made here between the music world and, and the world you're in now there. So uh, thank you for your time there. Um, have a great morning in New York uh, or in New Jersey where you are. Yeah. And uh, good night from Bangkok. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Marcus. It was a real pleasure speaking with you today. And uh, I, I look forward to chatting again soon. Definitely. Catch, catch you soon. Cheers. All right. Bye. Bye. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Luer Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Luer. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.